We're going to start this morning with our, what do we start this morning with? Memory verse review, yes. So who's got Nehemiah 9.6? Nehemiah 9.6. Miss Amy's got it. Kimberly's got it. Excellent. Miss Darla? Miss Darla's got it. Nehemiah 9.6. Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. All right, ladies. Y'all stand. And let, who wants to start? Miss Amy will start. All right. <laughs> Nehemiah 9 6. You'll honor the Lord. Yes. He made the heavens, the heavens of heaven, and all of the hosts, the earth and everything on it, the sea and everything in it. And you preserved them all. Yes. One more. The hosts of heaven worship you. Absolutely. Good job. Way to go. Thank you much. The table is over there today. We are moving the table around. It's over there underneath the pictures that don't get updated. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm in a snarky mood this morning, so there may be some more, there'll be some editing of the podcast today. We'll see how that goes. Yes, Miss Kimberly? Nehemiah 9.6, no pressure. You alone are the Lord. Yes. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. You have made the earth yes. and all that is on it. You have made the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down before you. That's exactly right. Very good. Awesome. Thank you much. All right, Miss Darla, you're up. You alone are the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Yes, they do. Well done. Thank you much, Miss Darla. All right. So this morning we continue our series uh, of systematic theology. Um, for those of you that are uh, wondering where we are in this big massive series, there are seven big parts. Uh, we are a little over halfway through the second, but if you put all of the lessons together, we're a little over a quarter of the way done with the whole thing. So that's kind of where we are in the big picture. So, so far we have looked at the existence of God and, and uh, Wayne Grudem, the author of this textbook, uh, lays these things out in an order for a particular reason. We've looked at the existence of God, and then we looked at the knowability of God. So you have to have the existence before you can have a God that you can know. Uh, we looked at the attributes of God. So what is God uh, like? What, is, what are His characteristics? What are His attributes? Uh, then we looked at the actual being of God Himself. So what is His nature, this triune nature? Last week we looked at what is this God created? He has created all things. And then today we look at, kind of adding on to that theme, how does God engage with His creation? So we talked a little bit about that last week, but this week is specifically God's providence. And it's probably a word you've heard before. It's probably a word you may have heard defined before. Um, but we're going to define it this morning. And this is your first three blanks. If you've got your notes, here we go. So we're going to define God's providence as follows. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that He, one, keeps them existing, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which He created them, Two, cooperates, cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. So keeps, cooperates, and directs. Now, we're going to come at this from a very specific angle this morning, and I'm going to talk about another angle when we get to the end. So if you, if you think about categories here, Grudem defines them as preservation, concurrence, and then government. So... There's a ton of verses on your handout. 
you will notice that some of them are highlighted. Those are the ones we're going to look at this morning in Sunday school. So um, we'll start with Hebrews 1.3 and then Colossians 1.17. So who's got Hebrews 1.3? Thank you, Sean. Hebrews 1.3. Abby, you got it? It's an electronic device. How hard is it to find? It's loading, it's loading yes. Don't you hate that? That's the one thing I hate about the apps on the, on the devices. It's just, it's like, I've got to take a second. You got it, Stacey? Hebrews 1.3. What do we got? The sun radiates God's own glory. The sun radiates God's own glory. Okay. And expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He sustains how much? Everything. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his hand. Absolutely. Colossians 1.17. Who's got it? Stephen. And he is before all things. Who is he? Jesus. God. Yes. Jesus specifically. Yes. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And in him all things hold together. Or in him, your translation may say, all things consist. Uh, the idea here is that, and you, you've probably, if you've been with me for more than a month, you've heard me say this. The idea here is that there is something that holds the fundamental particles of the universe together. Um, I work at a company where nuclear things are discussed. And when you, when you get inside atoms and you start talking about how atoms work and how they hold together, you know what the secret is? We don't know. Uh, physicists have come up with this wonderfully stupid uh, term to describe what it is that holds things together. It's called the strong nuclear force. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's another one that's not quite as strong, so they call it the weak nuclear force. And that's about what we understand about it. There's something that holds things together that mathematically shouldn't hold things together. You do the math, the math doesn't work. You do the math, everything should fly apart. It doesn't fly apart. I think Colossians 1.17 is the reason things don't fly apart. Christ himself holds things together at a perhaps subatomic level so that the entire universe does not instantaneously explode. And if you think about the end of all things, everything burns up at the end, right? Perhaps the withdrawing of Christ, his presence from the universe, is all that is necessary for everything to cease to exist. Perhaps. Maybe. So Colossians 1.17, big, big, big deal. So this idea of uh, preservation is that God maintains the properties of things that he created them with. So this is the foundation for actually all of science. Uh, think about if, uh, so Jonas, I'm, I'm, I happen to look at you, so I'm going to talk about you for a second. So Jonas has awesome hair, um, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, I've got a great beard, Jonas has awesome hair. It's just it's the way the universe works. So you put stuff in your hair, right? Yeah, some product that goes in the hair. Yes, because it didn't wake up looking that good, right? No, not quite. Okay. Takes a little work. This is, this is good to know. This is good to know. So, so does that product behave the same way? Did it behave the same way two days ago as it did today? It didn't. Why not? It's never the same. You have to work with it. You're ruining my example here, Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thank you. I'm trying to think about how to recover from this. I got nothing. So, so uh, yeah, I got nothing there. So, did the aerosol can in which the product was in work the same way? Yes, it did. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> the reason it worked the same way is the properties of physics did not change from two days ago to today, right? The, the way in which the universe works is consistent to some degree, and we think largely because God himself 
is maintaining that level of consistency. Um, I have been uh, dieting since September the 2nd. I, right? Everybody's like, what? <laughs> this doesn't seem consistent with Jim. That's correct. Uh, uh, I have, however, put my mind to this, and as of this morning, I'm down 22 pounds. So I'm uh, quite pleased with that fact. However, what would be exceedingly frustrating, exceedingly frustrating, is if when I got on the scale every single morning, because I do now, because uh, it's encouraging a little bit, very little bit each day. And uh, if I got on the scale and the properties of gravity changed every single day and my weight went from one number to the next to the next, I mean, it was just, how discouraging would this be, right? I mean, it, thank you, Darla. Yes, it's very discouraging. Yes, it is. So, so this concept that God uh, preserves all things, um, let's look at Second Peter 3, 7. Who's got that? You got it? Excellent. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Yes, so by his words. That's actually kind of what we just talked about, right? So it's this, this day of fire where all things burn up, where, you know, you, you want to be with Jesus at that point, that's a good spot to be. If you're not with him, it's not a good spot to be. Um, so Job 34, 14 and 15. Dave? If he should set his heart on it, if he should be gathered to his, himself, his spirit, and his breath, all flesh So this idea that if, if that was his desire, this would be very easy to occur. Just everything would cease to exist. Uh, Sean, we need one more. So that's the idea behind uh, preservation. So let's look at concurrence. Let's look at concurrence. So this is the idea that God cooperates with, their, with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. I'm going to say this one more time. God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. So we're going to start off with inanimate objects and work our way up to living beings. Okay, so let's look at Job 37.6. Who's got Job 37.6? For he says to the snow, follow me. Who says to the snow? God says to the snow, right? Yes. Excellent. So what happened on Signal Mountain Friday night? It snowed. So if we take Job 37.6, who made it snow? God made it snow, right? This is, this is not a, a, a beyond us concept that God is actually in charge of the weather. So Psalm 135.7. Yes. the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Brings the wind out of his tree, which I always love these, right? Because you're kind of going, what kind of box does that live in? <laughs> right? I've got a box of lightning over here. I've got a box of snow, and it just it listens to me whenever. Wow, it's just amazing stuff, right? So Job 38, 32. Job 38, 32. Lead out the bear with its cubs. And you're like, uh, are we talking about bears? Nope. We're talking about what? Constellations. Yes. They have names for the constellations. And the bear and her cubs are a set of stars that are actually in the sky. And the idea here is that God not only is over the weather, He is over the constellations and how they come out and how they go back in. 
All of this is under His command. Matthew 5, 45. That ye may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And He sendeth the rain on just and the unjust. Absolutely. So this idea of God directing the weather is not just exclusive to believers. It is not just exclusive to unbelievers. This occurs for all mankind, right? So there are some things that God directs and uh, what's our word that God has concurrence over uh, that occur to all. And then Matthew 6, 26, Dave? Look to the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Encouraging verses here, right, about the provision of God. And this idea of He's governing the weather, He's governing the stars, He's governing this over the just and the unjust. He's got the animals covered too. This is, this is all under His command. Uh, and then some things that we a lot of times think are not under His command. Proverbs 16, 33. This is a verse that bothers a lot of people. You got this one, Bree? The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap. So are we talking about the biblical character lot, or what are we talking about here? Yeah, we're talking about Vegas. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, right? This is gambling. Yeah, this is, this is how you would make a decision. I'm not sure what we ought to do. There's one's this way, two's this way. Roll the dice. Okay. There we go. Uh, there's several instances in the Scripture of good, godly people rolling die and saying, we're going to trust the outcome to God because that's okay. He controls that too. Um, a guy named, uh, who was the 13th? Somebody help me. Matthias, yes. A guy named Matthias was chosen to fill Judas Iscariot's spot because, you know, Judas killed himself after he betrayed Jesus Christ. So the disciples went from 12 to 11. They thought we needed 12 because Jesus picked 12. So they rolled the dice between uh, Matthias and Justice. And Matthias was chosen. Okay. That's how they picked it. But God directs that. He, he governs that as well. Um, how does that make you feel about stuff that pops up in your life? Well, that and it's already been filtered. Right? I mean, this has all gone through his, gone through his plan. Um, if you think about, uh, many of you are drinking coffee right now, and there's a really, really important component to making coffee, and it is that filter. Because you can make coffee without a filter. <laughs> you can. You absolutely can make coffee without a filter, and you will not want to drink that coffee. Because it has got all kinds of what in it? <laughs> grounds in it. You don't want to grounds in your life. I mean, that's just horrible, right? Yeah, God filters, everything that occurs is filtered through His providence. And, and that helps us recognize and acknowledge that we are actually not in charge of the universe, which is a load off my shoulders because I don't need that kind of hassle in my life, right? I don't want to try to run the universe. God's got that job. He's got that nailed down. That's no problem. Uh, so this doesn't just, uh, doesn't just apply to... Animals. Let's look at Job twelve twenty three. What does Job twelve twenty three say? Ms. Abby? He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. Yeah, but I thought our weaponry was what allowed us to be great. Ooh, I'm gonna offend some folks now. Uh, Acts seventeen twenty six. We'll keep going. Boundaries of their 
Is that rather specific or what? Can you read that one more time for us? So you remember back to your history classes in high school where it showed a map of the world and all the boundaries of those countries and then a hundred years later there was another map with a different set of lines and then a hundred years later there was another map with God marked off all of that. Now think about, think about the complexity involved of doing that, right? So, so I'll give you as many shots as you want to draw a map of the world with all the country lines drawn accurately 50 years from now. Go. Yeah, you need to get back with me on that one, right? I think we're going to fail that assignment. And, and God did this before the foundation of the world for all nations for all time. Wow. It's a big God we serve. Now, so let's, let's go from, we've kind of gotten really big with the nations idea. Let's get specific with us again. Psalm 139.16. Psalm 139. Yes, Miss Mallet. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when it was yet there was none. So David's talking about being in the mother's womb, and he's saying that God knew all those details, as well as the what? The days? How many of the days? The days that were formed. Yeah, all the days. Job 14, 5. Yes, since Ms. Jessica? Days, since his days are determined, the number of his mouth is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Um, it, this reminds me of my math classes in college where we would have these calculations and we would try to determine how far something could go. What was the limit of this thing? Uh, and, and this is what God does with man. This is how far you can go. You want to really concrete... Well, that was a bad joke. We say you want a really concrete example of this. Think of the Tower of Babel. I, that was not intentional, so just sorry about that. Um, the uh, stop it, Dave. <laughs> You're gonna get me distracted. Now. Uh, you know, they built up so far, and then God did what? He hit the blender button, right? He just mixed up all the languages and said, "You're going this far. You're not going any further." And that's that's it. It's just he's he's drawn this out. Uh, Psalm seventy-five, six and seven. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So when I'm bitter because somebody hadn't been judged as they should have been, <laughs> it's not my job. Psalm 127.3. You feel like this is a pretty strong theme throughout Scripture so far? We, we getting this? Yes. Um, he governs that too, right? He governs that too. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He governs things that we are satisfied with and things that we are not. Both the timing of the things that we're satisfied with and the timing of the things that we are not. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, yes. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So, so who are you to think that you earned anything on your own, right? Uh, well, there's a verse in Deuteronomy I should have put in here too, and it's, uh, uh, for the Lord, it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. 
It's like, well, no, I earned that promotion. No, you didn't. It's not your air you're breathing. Right? This is the playoff of Morpheus here. You, that's, you, don't, you don't own that. Somebody gave you that. Somebody made your lungs. Somebody gave you that power. Somebody gave you that ability. Somebody gave you that intellect. Somebody gave you that skill, that drive to go do this. That all came from the Lord. Um, Proverbs 21.1. I love that I did not schedule the timing of this verse. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it where? Like a like the water what? Like a water course wherever he pleases. Just go over here, go over here, go over here. In Philippians two thirteen. Say that again for me. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So when, you, when, I, when I wake up, I'm going to make this very personal for me. When I wake up in the morning and I have a thought of, this is how I can serve the Lord today, did that thought come from me? No. God put that there to direct and to guide and to govern, to glorify Himself. So that, there's no... Um, so I want you to see, I want to see a couple things here. There's no pride that we can have as a result of this understanding of God. This is, this is the, His ways are beyond our ways. And when we start to try to describe how does He engage with His creation, this is a very complex question. Um, quote from Grudem here, Our words, our steps, our movements, our hearts, and our abilities are all from the Lord. They're all from the Lord. This is his summary of kind of this concept. It says, It seems better to affirm that God causes all things that happen, but that he does so in such a way that he somehow upholds our ability to make a willing, responsible choices. Choices that have real and eternal results and for which we are held accountable. Right? So there's accountability on our part for the actions and the decisions that we make. So the question that I think I've got in your notes is, what about evil? Right? So what about evil? Because this is a question that uh, those that do not believe the Bible sometimes bring up and say, so God made evil too? Good question. So let's look at a, a couple of different things here. Um, let's go to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah 1, 15. So what about evil? I'll read you a quote from Grudem. Scripture nowhere shows God as directly doing anything evil. Scripture never blames God for evil or shows God as taking pleasure in evil. And Scripture never excuses human beings for the wrong that they do. However, God uses all things to bring Himself glory. So if you think, so I've got a, a paragraph there. And if you, if you want homework to go look up and study this concept, there's several really good instances in the Scripture here. The whole life of Joseph this idea that people just dumped evil on him and dumped evil on him and dumped evil on him for the purpose of God preserving his nation. And you're going, well, that wasn't fair to Joseph. Well, we said we're talking fair here. This is about God's glory. This has nothing to do with our fairness. I'm going to tweet something from this morning. God's glory has nothing to do with our fairness. Those are two completely different things. But look at Jonah chapter 1. What is it? Verse 15. Is that in the notes? What does that say? So they picked up Jonah and hurled him in. Who's they? People on the boat. People, there's a boat, right? So Jonah's on a boat. He's headed the wrong way. And 
God will glorify himself. So, so the people on the boat did what? They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Which is weird, but <laughs> that's what the scripture says. So they throw him overboard, and the sea stops from its raging. Now, Jonah chapter 2 is this prayer that Jonah prays in the belly of this fish. Okay, so what does verse 1 say? Jonah 2 verse 1. Now, what is Jonah 1, 15? Who, who threw Jonah overboard? The sailors. The sailors. Okay. Jonah 2, 1. What does Jonah 2, 1 say? You got it, Stephen? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. Thank you for the emphasis there. <laughs> who cast Jonah into the deep? Time out now. Hey, a 30-second TV timeout here, right? This is his problem because the Bible just said that the sailors threw him overboard, and Jonah is acknowledging that God threw him overboard. So who threw him overboard? The answer is yes, yes exactly. So I love the way Grudem described this because it, it helped me understand how these things can coexist. So Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. Right? Okay. I am fully accountable for my actions. And I have free will to act and respond to situations as I decide. God is fully sovereign and governs and preserves the whole universe and is acting on things to make things happen in a way that will bring Him glory. He is 100% in charge. I have 100% free will to a point. These things are simultaneously occurring so that my free will aligns with His direction. That hurts my head because it's the 100% God, the 100% man. How do you figure that out? You, that's what the Scripture teaches, so we'll leave it at that. And we don't try to tie up everything with perfect 90-degree corners and Nice, neat little bows on top. There are going to be things about the way that God, who is so infinitely complex that there is not an analogy in the universe to describe His actual being, the way in which He engages with His creation, we would expect to be relatively complex. Right? If I can't even give you an analogy to describe God's nature, how am I going to explain to us in a very clear, succinct way that our finite brains can understand how He fully engages with all things. Ugh. This is hard, right? There's not a perfect answer. Yes, Dave? If we could put it into a box and fully describe it, we would cease to be the creation and we would become the creator. So the Absolutely. That we can't put it into a nice little box with a bow on it is good. Is good because <laughs> it's another proof and demonstration that God is God and we are not. Absolutely. Amen. Well said. So there's a blank in that paragraph. And the blank in this paragraph, if you go and look up these verses, your head will hurt. And you, you will start to, you know, those, uh, you know those scratch and sniff things that you were a kid? Uh, th these are kind of like scratch and sniff verses that will make your head hurt. Um, David's census. King David in the Old Testament took a census of the people for a very specific purpose. Um, and if you go read those scriptures, you'll start to see where was, the, where was the initiation of that, where was the middle of that, where was the concluding of that. 
It's a very, very complex set of verses that describe the complexity around the way this works. Uh, and then probably the greatest example of all, I think it's the last thing on that front side of the page, is the crucifixion of Christ. Right? I mean, talk about God using evil to bring himself glory. Right? So they have evil men and women that acted together to crucify Jesus Christ, which is horrible, right? But in turn is the greatest gift that he ever gave us. So, so God is not surprised by evil. Evil is subordinate to God, but God uses evil to make himself glorified in the world. Um, and I'm glad that he does because if, if God didn't govern evil as well, then evil's on the same plane as God, and that's a problem. If evil snuck up on God and like, oh, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, time out. Then you're not the supreme being in the universe. This doesn't work that way. So complex, heavy thoughts. So um, let's take a look. I'm going to skip ahead. So we're going to skip a couple verses here. Uh, the, the concepts that I am skipping is evil is real. We got that one? We good? Okay. Um, all right, so let's look at government for just a second. So Psalm 103, 19. Psalm 103, 19. Jonas's hair threw me off. It got me behind, so I'm blaming the product, Jonas. That's the, it does look really good. That's cool. Uh, so Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Yes, it does. Uh, so this idea of government is that God has a purpose in all that He does in the world and He providentially governs or directs all things in order that they may accomplish His purposes. So Ephesians 1.11. What's Ephesians 1.11? We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. He works all things after the counsel of Jim's will. Is that what that said? No. A counsel of whose will? His. his will. Yeah, his will. He didn't ask my advice. Which is disappointing to me sometimes because sometimes I think I come up with a really good plan. You know, it's like, you know, I have laid this all out and I'm just going to pray all 16 steps of this. And if you will just follow steps 1 through 16 in this order and in this timing, it'll all just be fine. And... You know, who am I that I should challenge the plan of God? Uh, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there will come a day where God will visibly demonstrate His government over all creation. And it will look like all of creation bowing before Him. Period. That's the way it's going to work. That's the way it's going to work. So, uh, a couple things here. The, so, the importance of our human actions. The importance of our human actions. So, there are two sides to this concept. Uh, and the two words that I have not used today that I have been talking about both sides of is Calvinism and Arminianism. You guys have heard these terms before? Yes? Um, so, so, sometimes... People of a Calvinist or a Reformed thought uh, who tend to lean more toward the God directs and causes and governs and everything happens 
a certain way because God has caused it to happen a certain way over here. And, and sometimes, sometimes these folks ignore free will of man and actually would say man doesn't have free will. And then the Arminian side, which is man has free will and uh, God uses all things for His glory, uh, but, but God doesn't necessarily know everything that's going to happen because we're responding to the actions of man. So there are, there are extremes on both ends that can be woefully incorrect. Grudem, he, he takes a Calvinist position, but it is, if, if this is the two ends, there's actually not two ends because you can go a long way that way and a long way this way, and both are really, really bad. So if, if here's the middle, Grudem's about right here. He's a little closer on the Calvinist side, but he's not like all the way over. Um, and he actually lists a whole bunch of different denominations. And, and Baptist churches have folks that are Calvinist. Baptist churches have folks that are Arminian. Baptist churches have folks that are dead center and say, we're kind of, yes, both parties have some really good things. Um, regardless of where you are on this, the Scripture teaches certain principles, and this is the importance of our human actions section. So number one, we're still responsible for our actions. We are still responsible for our actions. So you can go so far on the Calvinist side of the fence to say that I am not responsible for my actions because God caused me to do it. Whoa, time out, right? I mean, this is just, this is not what Scripture teaches. Um, our actions have real result, results and do change the course of events. We know this. We can read through the Scripture and see where God, where it talks about God changes His mind on something. Okay, great. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, prayer is one kind of action that has definite results that does change the course of events. And then number four, in conclusion, we must act. We must act. 2 Samuel 10, 12 is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse that describes this whole concept. So somebody who's got 2 Samuel 10, 12? Sorry, I keep skipping the yellow verses. I know this is annoying. I have these great visions of getting through the whole lesson, and it just never happens. So it's okay. Be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Read that again for us. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. So, so we will do what we need to do. We will be strong. And then what's the second part? And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And God will do what God will do. I have a responsibility and God will do what God will do. Fantastic. That's a beautiful response. This is not a, I will sit back and let happen whatever will happen. No. Get involved. Did God put something in your heart that you are passionate about to go and make an influence in the world? Go do that thing. Did God give you some burden that you have to go complete something for His glory? Go do that thing. Don't sit back. That is not what we are called to do. The heels of a Christian should never touch the ground. So for further practical application, number one, do not be afraid but trust in God. Do not be afraid but trust in God. So Matthew 10, 29, 30, and 31. Yes, Dave? Are, you, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are not all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than we're more valuable than sparrows. I am glad I am more valuable than a sparrow because I don't like sparrows. So, number two, be thankful for all good things that happen. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, anybody know it? In everything give 
thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I love that you read that verse. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then number three, there is no such thing as luck or chance. No such thing as luck or chance. It doesn't work that way. God controls the lot. Yes, He does. So, if you go to that website at the very bottom of your page, there's a whole lot more to this topic. And the seven pages of my notes are a really condensed version of the 40 pages of Grudem's notes on this chapter. And that's a really condensed version of the, I would say, two to 3,000 pages worth of stuff that he read to get it down to 40 pages. So this is a, a very big, very broad concept. Uh, several questions for personal application there, uh, if you want to do those as well this week. The Scripture memory passage for next week is Romans 8.28. So I hope that I will have to go to Lifeway and buy 30 things because everybody ought to know this one for next week. Okay? And then the hymn for today is God Moves in a Mysterious Way. This is written by William Cowper which is a really sad name, but um, 1774. So God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter, and He will make it plain. Folks don't write like that anymore. That's a good one. All right, so thank you for coming to Sunday School today. The page in the middle of the sheet, in the middle of the table, is the Sunday School Weekly Update. So make sure your name is on that. Any prayer requests that you've got are on that. Please play, play as a group. Actually, that's what we're going to learn about in big church today. Um, playing cards. It is it, the title of the sermon is playing cards. Uh, pray as a group. I still think about it as big church. Sorry, it's just the way it is. And uh, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming, guys.